So I tell people that it takes courage. You got to jump in and do it. Um, and don't let your how you're feeling about it or your comfort level hold you back from having these critical conversations. This is the Leadership 480 Podcast. Hello again, and welcome to the Leadership 480 Podcast. My name is Craig Irons, and I'll be your host for this episode. For the past few weeks, the news has been dominated by two sets of headlines. The first set, of course, are the headlines about the spread of the COVID-19 coronavirus, its public health implications, and its impact on the daily lives of those in the U.S. and around the world. The second set of headlines, which appear to be growing in number daily, are those concerning the unknown full economic impact of the global pandemic. Taken together, these two sets of headlines underscore the obvious, that now is an especially challenging time to be a leader. And what's always been part of leadership, the need to have challenging or difficult conversations has become, or will soon become, an unsettling reality for a great many leaders. So how can leaders best navigate challenging conversations in these challenging times? Well, to talk about that today, we have two fantastic guests. John Verdone is a senior consultant, and Megan Aaron is a managing consultant, both here at DDI. Between the two of them, they have trained countless thousands of leaders around the world on how to interact effectively, and that includes how to have challenging conversations. They have also both been in leadership roles themselves and had to have those hard conversations that we'll be talking about today. What's more, both John and Megan have been executive coaches, helping leaders manage individual and global crises, and also working with organizations to manage complexity. John and Megan, thanks for being with us on the Leadership 480 podcast today. Great to be with you. Thanks for hosting. John, let's, uh, let's start with you with this first question. So when we think of a challenging conversation, you know, what first comes to mind for a lot of people is a conversation they have to have with someone about their job performance. But what other types of tough conversations do leaders need to make sure they don't take too lightly? Uh, great question to kick us off. And if uh, I think you're right, most people are thinking of, I've got a disciplinary issue I've got to deal with, or maybe I have to lay somebody off or, um, you know, things that you can really prep for and plan for in advance. And and now on top of that, with the isolation that's going on with the COVID virus, even those conversations are going to be incredibly hard because now we're not even face to face with them anymore. But I would just add that I think what people don't think about are the conversations that they don't think are going to be challenges that turn into challenges. So they don't have time to prep for those, uh, you know, ahead of time. And so they're caught off guard by people that are there. For example, you might have someone who uh, is actually a pretty good performer in the organization. Uh, you haven't spent as much time with that person. You've been focusing on others. And uh, all of a sudden in an update meeting, they mention to you or bring out some frustration about, uh, you know, you given all your time to these people that are not performing and, you know, and they're starting to feel neglected in some way. So that ones where you have to kind of think on your feet, I think, are really the example I would add in of some of the challenging conversations that uh, you just don't quite think of and then just come upon you as a surprise. Sure, sure. Megan, um, let me ask you, practice enables leaders to be more effective when having difficult conversations, but 
should those conversations ever get easier? I mean, to what extent should a difficult conversation always be difficult to have? I think the part of the difficult conversations is that you're discussing it with a human. Uh, and humans will always have a variable of reactions, of their thoughts, of their commitments. And so you may have a structure for the conversation and intended outcomes that you want to achieve. And if you're solely thinking about you and not the other person, their needs and their preferences and not adapting to meet those types of needs and preferences, that's going to be the the constant place that continuously makes this difficult, that you can't predict who that day you're going to be speaking with, even if that person remains consistent. They may have had a difficult home conversation, another peer discussion. So there's just a lot of variables and it's the human side of things that makes those consistently hard. Can I I jump in and add to that? Please do. Um, yeah, that great. Uh, that's a great answer, Megan. I, I think the other thing, just as you worded the question, Craig, was should this get easier? And I think another way of saying that is, will this become more comfortable for a leader, uh, you know, as they've done it more potentially? And mm-hmm. I think one of the things, that's one of the criteria people set. They say, well, I want to, you know, I just want to get to the point where I'm more comfortable having this convers- this type of conversation if I have to. And when I'm coaching, what I like to tell people is that comfort shouldn't be a goal. The goal should be, how can I have the conversation effectively while I'm feeling uncomfortable? Because the only way you'll get more comfortable is to have a repetition of it, right? To do it over and over again. And so you've caught yourself in a weird spiral here if you're waiting for comfort before you have it. So I tell people that it takes courage. You got to jump in and do it. Um, and don't let your how you're feeling about or your comfort level hold you back from having these critical conversations. So, Megan, kind of related to that, um, you know, is there a danger in leaders becoming too comfortable uh, having hard conversations? Uh, you know, is it a situation whereby the minute you begin, you know, sort of taking these conversations uh, in stride, that the next time you have one, you maybe won't be as effective as you need to be when you have it. I think one of the words to replace with comfort is confidence. You should increase your confidence in having the conversation that you have met the needs of the individual and you've also achieved an outcome where both of you are in agreement with what the next steps forward are, whatever behavior change needs to occur, Or again, just go back to the purpose of the conversation that using that by beginning with the end in mind. So comfort, not so much because there should be that process tension of ensuring, did I balance both achieving what they needed and what I needed and what's a positive outcome. But the, I think the word is, and from my own personal experience of leading others, and having those conversations, it wasn't so much I was ever comfortable about it, but I was more confident that I knew what to expect. Uh, I did practice so that I could think through contingencies. And then I felt, again, that I knew where I was headed versus maybe trying to, to figure it out with any, without a plan 
or without any focus. So that that's the word that I kept when you kept saying the word comfort. I was like, it's not comfort. What is it instead? It's it's very much. Can I go in this with a higher level of confidence? Yeah, that's a that's a great point, Megan. Uh, John, anything you would add to that? Can leaders get too comfortable or or maybe, well, kind of Megan's point, you know, confidence matters, but can leaders become even too overconfident, if you will, uh, when it comes to having difficult conversations? I have nothing to add on this question. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I thought Megan's response was good, and it was kind of counterpoint to the comfort thing and a different perspective. I thought that was, that was great. So, Yeah, it really was. So, John, what would, uh, you know, as you think through the need to have a difficult conversation, what's the best way for a leader to prepare for that conversation? When you think about preparing for a tough discussion, I think one of the really core um, pieces to have clear in your head is what is the message that you want to deliver and how can you deliver it directly and succinctly so that they clearly understand your messaging. You know, when I was a leader, especially earlier in my career, you know, I wasn't a real guy that was that liked conflict. I don't think anybody does. We don't want to hurt other people's feelings. And so I can remember one conversation I was in where I kind of hinted around the topic a little bit, around what I needed them to do differently because I was concerned about how they would react or how they would feel. Um, and you know, in hindsight, that wasn't at all the right way to do it. It was a disservice, uh, to the person, uh, for me not being clear and to myself and the organization that we hadn't been clear with expectations. So I think if I was going to grab one thing, it would be understand your message and then be sure that you deliver that message clearly, directly, and fully. So the other person, uh, receives it, uh, in the way that you intend. So Megan, um, you know, one way. Uh, a leader might be prepared or might be tempted to be preparing for a difficult conversation is to really sort of almost script it out and practice what they plan to say. Um, you know, have you found that to be an effective approach for preparing for a tough conversation or is it just better to sort of map out what you're going to say and then, um, you know, let some of it be dictated by kind of what the temperature is in the room, if you will, when you go to have the conversation? So I would say yes, script, and say it out loud. So I was thinking around what does that preparation look like? And I, I also wrote down a note to myself, it's okay to ask for help with the expectation that you're considering confidentiality. So mm -hmm. with whom you ask for help should be someone that is a in that in a peer leadership position that understands the importance of that confidentiality. It could be your leader, it could be an HR partner. And the benefit of not just the scripting component, because that's what I found I've, it sounds really great in my head, well, because I wrote it, uh, but so <laughs> sounds great in my head, sounds right. great when I've recorded it, but now there has to be that next step of a reaction. And so the gain is you also have a different perspective for what the individual or team is going through because these difficult conversations might not just be a singular exchange. It may be a number of people. It may be in a group setting uh, that you have to now the difficulty increases. And so there's the benefit of different perspectives was the one. The second one was 
refining the words to what John just mentioned around clear expectations, you can have very um, deliberate language. So there's no weak words. And I, I think that in addition to the scripting, it's also say them out loud. So the other part of it is one is you need to prepare for these conversations, but two, there's also, you know, certain skills that leaders need to have in order to have these conversations effectively. Um, John, what would you say are some of the most important skills a leader needs to have in order to be effective at having difficult conversations? At uh, DDI, you know, we believe that people have different approaches to communication and at its simplistic, at its most simplistic is the idea that the person that you're having the conversation with has two types of needs from you. And those needs are personal needs and practical needs. So practical needs are around the, you know, the clarity of the content that you're sharing with them, um, the uh, efficiency with which you have the discussion. And on the personal side, it's more around how they feel like you're treating them um, while you're having that discussion. Do you, are, are they feeling like you're showing trust in them, like you're empathetic to the situation that they're in? And so one of the things that we believe is that it's important that you understand the person you're going to talk to well to know which of those two sides do they err more towards? Do they err more towards the practical side or more towards the personal side so that you can make an adjustment to your approach in talking to them? Someone who's more practical, you can get more directly to the point. You can talk about the details of what the issue is with them. Somebody that's more on the personal side is going to need more empathy, is going to need more a sense of maintaining their sense of self-worth and using the language that's associated with that. Sometimes leaders come into this, well, this is my style and I use that style with everyone. Well, that style, if you use the same style with everyone, that's going to be very effective for the people that have the same style as you. But one of the skills that I think are critically important as we get to these very difficult discussions is being able to adapt your approach to meet the appropriate level of personal and practical needs that the other person has. Our guests today are Megan Aaron and John Verdone. They're both consultants here at DDI, and we're talking about the challenges and importance of having difficult conversations, especially in these challenging times. Megan, given how many people are working remotely right now and are communicating with others via video conferencing, um, you know, to what extent does technology make having a difficult conversation even more difficult? Well, first, you have to take yourself off of mute to have a conversation. So that's always <laughs> been helpful, I have found. And I know I say that and to be, uh, you know, silly. And yet, how many times this week have you found that you're sharing something really uh, smart and savvy and everyone's like, Megan, are you there? Are you off of mute? You know, so <laughs> um, yeah. that's just a, a small one, but it, 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 it highlights just how muted we are in our ability to connect. And so the part that I would share around what makes it even more difficult is how best can you pick up on the subtle clues that occur during these difficult conversations, whether it's body language, tone, and it may be someone who you 
don't know that well that you've only ever, you know, had, uh, you know, those face-to-face conversations with, and now it's a completely different setting and they sound different or they seem different. And so uh, I think that the intimacy that you have in the face-to-face can make it more difficult, but it doesn't mean more difficult does not equal cannot be done. And so I think as you navigate us through some additional parts of our conversation today, we'll have a chance to talk about what are some of the ways in which you can have a very efficient, effective conversation where everyone is is feeling like they've been heard and understood. Yeah. And yeah, I think as you alluded to at the beginning of what you were saying there, technology can only be a barrier, but it can also be quite a distraction. So it can really almost sort of take away from the message. Um, in addition to, uh, you know, just being a barrier. John, is there something you would add? Yeah. Um, since we're on technology, um, just a couple of things. One is, uh, use video chat if you can. So, you know, I think when you think about technology, a lot of people are picturing in the past, we would just pick up the phone and call a person and all we would have is audio to work off of. And, and, and honestly, my comfort level has always been, you know, with live face to face and that kind of thing. And I've been like many of us, uh, over the last few weeks or months now or so have been almost forced into video chats, uh, you know, and getting more comfortable with that with a video chat. However, it's very interesting because you can now see facial expressions. And I think that's what we were missing when we were just talking to somebody on audio is we're saying, well, I can't read the body language. I can't read kind of what this looks like uh, to them. And I'm quite surprised and humbled by being able to see the other person and being able, I think Megan used the perfect word about developing a sense of intimacy or closeness with the person that I'm amazed at how much we can accomplish in that. And, and I'll, I'll provide one example, which, which uh, really brought it home to me. So we, as part of our role here as senior consultants and managing consultants at, uh, at DDI, we uh, give people feedback. Many times we give executives feedback on assessments that they've gone through. Uh, and 360s and psychological tests and those kinds of things. And we do that typically over the phone because they're a distance away. And many times you have to deliver a, a very difficult message to, to these folks that, you know, they thought they were very strong at something. And then uh, in the 360 tool, they got feedback from the people that work for them that not only are they not strong, but they're viewed as being weak in that particular area. And then they mm-hmm. took some assessment tests that, con- that confirmed that. And so that's, that's a hard message to have to deliver to somebody at that level. And so starting just a couple of weeks ago, moved that over to video chat with one of the clients that I work with. And so I could see the person and read their reactions. And it was incredible, not only that I could see how they were reacting, but it actually was helpful for them to see me deliver the message, you know, visually, yeah. as well as just hearing it over the phone. So I'm I'm all in on uh, on video now and video chat. And honestly, um, I think when we come out of this time of social isolation, um, we're going to be still doing it and doing it a lot more going forward as an alternative. And so as leaders, we better get good at this, right? And, and better become strong at how we deliver these messages virtually. You know, John, you just referenced sort of when we come out of this self-isolation <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're recording this uh, today using video chat technology, which is, uh, which is really cool that we can, can do it this way. Uh, but let's talk a bit about timing. So 
Um, you know, both of you have alluded to the fact that, you know, it's when you're having a face-to-face conversation with someone, uh, it, there's a little more intimacy and, you know, you can pick up on facial expressions and what have you. And also we talked about the, the degree to which technology can somewhat get in the way of that. But I guess if, if, if you're a leader right now and you know, you have to have a really difficult conversation with one of your people. Is it better to just go ahead and have it now, or is it better in some cases probably to wait until you're both back in the same physical office space? John, your thoughts. Well, if we knew when we were going to be able to get back together live, we could probably make that uh, decision in some ways, right? So yeah. the fact of the matter is, is we don't know whether we're going to get back together live a month from now or two months from now or three months from now. Um, the decision would also be based upon how serious the conversation was. Is it something I could hold off till our next quarterly review meeting or um, until we were going to be together for a team meeting of some kind? With that said, um, I think you already know the answer to that question, Craig, even in answering, answering it probably better to be direct and have the discussion uh, now uh, so that the person can react and respond to it. It doesn't change the nature of the work. It doesn't change uh, the fact that they're, if it's a performance issue, that they've got to correct and become better at it. Um, yeah. So I think we need to have the conversations uh, when we can, uh, as soon as we can. And if that means we're delivering it virtually or in other formats, I, I think that's the way we have to go as leaders. Megan, do you agree with that? I do agree with because every time we talk about the importance of sharing that information, having that connection, it's a there's a sense of urgency uh, because you've got to think about all of the different ways in which that topic can impact the person, which person extends out to how they interact with family or friends, how is it impacting a client. How mm -hmm. is it impacting the people within that organization, your own organization? So it's the circles of impact that just, you know, cascade out further the longer that you wait. So to jump to another uh, another topic here, uh, Megan, let's stay with you. Um, you know, another thing that maybe is adding a layer of complexity to uh, the way leaders need to communicate right now is just the fact that people are dealing with so much stress. Uh, you know, they have kids at home. There, many people have a lot of uncertainty about their, you know, their their economic situation, uh, what their job status is going to be, what have you. Um, how should leaders navigate that, especially communicating with their teams? I think that how they should navigate is always to provide space. So space for the reactions, space for questions, space for silence, uh, and not as a leader taking any of those things uh, personally. So being more focused on what is the environment of that particular time and, and the call. So I think the other piece around knowing how to navigate that space is connecting it to situations. Situations are changing minute by minute, day by day. And so 
the more that you can read the environment by asking an opening question, see how many responses that you receive, see the what not just how many you receive, but the content of those responses, I believe can also, you know, uh, ensure that you're providing, then where do you go next? And you can see a theme from what John talked about earlier around these adaptations. And I think what I have felt leading others over the past few weeks is ensuring that I'm giving them the space to share what they want to share first. If they want to talk about, and, and I've even done that, not just with my team members, but um, back to the assessments. I've had some feedbacks this week and I said, okay, here are the different options that we have. You know, we can do the, the formal flow of what I would normally guide you through. We can do an abbreviated version of that so you can get some of your time back, or we could also just focus on what's a current problem that you have right now, right this minute. And so I think to repeat, it's the space, it's the adaptation and provide choices. So John, um, you know, empathy is a pretty important part of this too, isn't it right now in terms of, you know, just sort of acknowledging and, and sort of meeting people where they are in terms of their stress levels. Um, it is, uh, you know, a couple of things on that. Um, yeah, stress is all around us today. And, and I'm yeah. uh, just thinking of when I'm, you know, I mean, stress is building as I'm locked in my room here, my home office here at the house, literally 30 feet from me. My wife, who is a first grade teacher, has 26 six and seven year olds doing a zoom meeting with them showing a video of a cow singing and then asking questions of how they go through and I can kind of hear that through the wall and she can hear me and so you know beyond just the stress of work now we've got this added stress that's in there um, and then you top that off I'm thinking that you know honestly I'll bet some of you who are on this call listening in to this, uh, maybe you've actually uh, been laid off from your job as a leader and uh, are using this time to try to build your skills up and become stronger and better at, at what you do so that the next time, you know, when, when things do come around and you have a job again, you can become stronger at that. So I, I really, first of all, commend you for that. Um, but it is a great time for empathy. And I think it's a great time for empathy. We're talking very specifically about these challenging, difficult conversations. But in some ways right now, every conversation is a challenging, difficult conversation to have. And so we've got to have that skill set. And, uh, you know, I'm going to actually throw this, I think, um, over to Megan, because I think she is kind of a specialist in in this area. And, and maybe, Megan, you could talk a little bit about how you express empathy mm -hmm. to others in an sure. effective way so that they hear that and can understand it. Yeah, I think the best part around expressing empathy is the first, first part is to be able to listen to what the other person is sharing. And one of the ways in which you can deploy empathy and where I see our leaders that I have the privilege to coach or you thinking and reflecting on your own behavior is we get it wrong when we don't know um, when to use the skill or how to use the skill. So let me give you just a few then suggestions on the when and the how. The when is certainly, uh, you mentioned the word stress, Craig, which just shows up for different ways, different people. 
uh, is strong emotions. So you could be looking for uh, those strong positive or negative emotions. Those are the places and spaces as to when. In addition to, a lot of us have started off our calls with, how are you feeling? Uh, how are you? Tune into what those responses are because that is a direct link to an opportunity to then respond with empathy. So there's the listening component, and those are the the when, strong emotions, and asking that open-ended check on people's emotions. And then, as I mentioned, it's the how, and how you respond with empathy. Sometimes we simply wanna use the phrase, I understand, because we so quickly either want to <laughs> move forward with what is it that we need to get done, what box do we need to check, and that still feeling a need to have control, we just wanna say, I simply understand it, and that's not going to work. The other part we get stuck in is confusing two words that sound so much alike, empathy and sympathy. You don't have to agree when you empathize. When you are in agreement, you are sympathizing, and I don't want to negate the fact that there may be a lot of times ahead of you where you're needing to use the sympathy skill instead of empathy. Just know, again, in those places and spaces, as we have put this header today on difficult, tough, challenging conversations that may be more uh, business-focused, you may find yourself leaning more towards the skill of empathy. And finally, then, the last piece of this how is ensure that you balance what emotions did the individual share, which were clarified by your ask, how are you feeling? And then link that back to what is causing that emotion. That ensures that you have actively listened. It's not okay just to address one or the other, but it's an and. I have included addressing your emotions and the facts of what's prompting that emotion. That's some uh, some some great stuff around what you know, around how to do this right, around how to have difficult conversations in the right way. But of course, you know, leaders don't always get it right. What are some common mistakes that leaders make uh, when it comes to either preparing or maybe even not preparing or, uh, or, you know, otherwise approaching a difficult conversation they need to have? I think the place where leaders can have a common mistake either preparing or having the challenging conversation could be the use of weak words. Weak words could be things like maybe, just, could, would, you know, all of those words that just diminish the deliberate focus that you have on achieving, again, a, a, an outcome. And I'm not going to put a, a descriptor on that outcome. even. Uh, apologizing if it's not an appropriate place for a, an apology. Uh, you know, instead of using these weak words, replace it with a pause. Uh, and and the, the, the space, like I mentioned earlier, and the silence can really help you prepare your next thought. It can enable the person or team to react and reflect and process before you move on to the next one. So uh, when you do that practice that I referenced that would be important, whomever is on that receiving end, have them track any of what your specialty weak words are. If it's the word just, or if it's um, maybe, or a little, or kinda. I can't tell you how many times I hear that word kinda. Uh, this is that place in space where you've got to be committed 
with what your path forward is while still ensuring that you're checking in on that human side. But that would be my recommendation is pay attention to, to weak words. John, what would you add? The um, I, I remember back to a I was a, a pretty new leader. This has been a lot of years ago. I was a pretty new leader. And uh, I, we were going through a, a, time, a difficult time in our company. It was, it was kind of like now in a ways. And, and I was going to have to uh, lay off one of my employees and have that conversation um, with them. And and my manager at the time, the, the the person I worked for, this this very wise woman that I worked for at the time, uh, said, well, would you like me to, to sit in on this conversation, you know, with you. I know you've never done this before. Would you like me to sit in and trying to impress her? I said, Oh no, no, I've, I've got this, you know, you've got other things you have to do. Why don't you? And, and so I, I really wanted to do well I, and had every intention of it. And so I really practiced what I wanted to say. And, uh, you know, I worded it all out, like Megan had mentioned earlier, I'd kind of written it out. I practiced it over and over again. And when the time came to deliver it, I, called this person into my office and I delivered that message. And honestly, I delivered it exactly as I intended. I was very proud of myself. Um, the problem was I hadn't thought past that step uh, in it. And so he then started to come back to me with uh, questions about mm -hmm. what this meant and some of the implications and different things there. So, uh, and I just, I hadn't thought that through at all. So I, I think what I would just add here is that would be one of the mistakes you could make would be so focused on delivering the message that you're not thinking through, well, what might that person's response be? What might they ask about? What further clarification might they have so that it, it doesn't come as a complete surprise to you? Um, and of course we can't anticipate everything, um, right. but there are some things we should be thinking about. And I, and I think the more we can uh, prepare for that, uh, the better off we're going to be. Are there some strategies you can employ uh, when you're preparing for a conversation, knowing that you aren't going to be able to anticipate uh, every response, but in terms of thinking through the possibilities of how the other person might uh, might react to what you're saying. What are what are some some good ways to sort of uh, you know prepare for that and, and be ready? Unlike unlike you were weren't in that particular example. Yeah. The, so I'm gonna uh, now I'm gonna after I said to be sure you've thought through and prepare for the kinds of questions that they would ask. What I'm now gonna recommend is that you do the opposite from a reaction standpoint, especially from an emotional reaction standpoint that might come in. And that would be, don't assume based on what you know about them, what they will react and say. So, you know, they, oftentimes I think in my head, well, this, I have a good relationship with this person. They're pretty mature. I, I'm not anticipating a lot of issues. And then they surprise me that it, and it catches me yeah. off guard back to, uh, back to being surprised by things. And so just go, no matter who it is that's sitting across from you, don't make assumptions about how they'll react. Be prepared to respond to a wide range of emotions and, and requests for information and the various things that are out there so that uh, it, it doesn't throw you. So prepare as much as you can, but then you walk in with an open mind and just, just ready for whatever will come at you um, in, a, in, a, in a particular way. And also, I guess I would add, don't judge their reaction. Uh, when they do, some of them might say some pretty hurtful things back to you. Let's say you're delivering a very tough message right now. 
that you're going to deliver a message in this coronavirus thing, as many people have had to, that the person is, is going to be laid off or furloughed and not have any income. And they've been an employee for a long period of time for the organization. They might feel they're, they're not only are they hurt by it, they're personally offended by it. They think the organization has, you know, has done this to them unfairly. They may come back at you. They may blame you for it. They may do a number of different things. And so it's going to be very, very important that you not only don't assume what the reaction would be, but that you just let all of that flow over you. Don't take it personally. Empathize with the situation that they're in and do the just the best you can in a very difficult situation to to, to have it be as, as positive as it can be, given the very negative circumstances around it. Megan, what would you add? The other part was think in in terms of what are the proactive and reactive strategies that I could have that I could deploy. A proactive strategy could be the time of the day. Um, you know, uh, it could also be the environment that you set up to put it more on a place and space where it's feasible for that person to have the quiet time, depending upon what they're managing from a, a home front perspective. The reactive side would be uh, enabling there to be even a pause in the conversation. So you find that you're getting to that place and space either where it's not productive or they're not able to process or they're so upset. You know, you can always press the pause button on this conversation and and not push it forward just to achieve that we got things done in the 30 minutes. You may have to sacrifice time at another point to to revisit in a place and space where maybe both of you have had that time to refocus and you know come back in with a renewed look at something or uh, again a, a higher level of commitment. So I, I think it's just thinking through. I've got some proactive techniques that I want to think through, but then here are the ones that I could I could leverage during as well. You know, when I think back to tough conversations I've had to have as a leader and where I've, I've sort of fallen down uh, on, on those occasions, you know, I, I make a win with sort of, okay, I want to make sure I cover points A, B, C, and D. But as I have focused on covering those points, the one thing that I probably didn't do effectively enough was listen. Megan, could, first to you, can you chime in on sort of the importance of, of listening mm-hmm. as a critical skill when you're having one of these these tough conversations? Yeah, I'm so glad that you asked because I had it jotted down for a response to another question in hopes I would have a chance to share this uh, tip, which is I call it the auditory check. And if you are effectively navigating a challenging conversation or any conversation the voice that you should hear more of is not your own lovely voice, although ours sound pretty good today on this conversation. I would instead have the focus be on the other person. So do that auditory check. If you hear the balance is more you speaking, that's where you can even and, and be um, okay to demonstrate your own humility. You know, I, I think I've heard my voice uh, a lot through this conversation. I, I want to stop uh, provide you the same space and, and airtime. So think about that in terms of not just the auditory check. You can also use this as, remember the, the quote around proactive versus reactive. That's a reactive strategy. A proactive one could set a, a ground rule, if you will, around equitable airtime. 
you know, I want this conversation to have equitable airtime and here's how we'll manage that. We'll take some turns. Um, certainly how you've been modeling that today during this facilitated conversation. John? Yeah, I think Megan did a great job there of just of talking kind of about the listening skill. I would add one other thing to listening that I don't think has come up so far in our discussion, and that is the importance of authenticity and you being authentic in how you're delivering the message and, and what you're talking about. You know, we each have, especially, you know, if you're having these conversations with members of your team, they already know who you are. Um, you know, you've probably had a lot of discussions with them. And so now isn't the time to get tough and put on a tough persona, you know, with mm -hmm. them. And so be yourself through all of this and all these suggestions, be yourself. Um, yeah, and so that they, they can really see that it's you they're having the conversation with and, uh, and don't, don't think you have to behave or act differently than you normally would. Um, let this be as natural a conversation um, as it can be, even though it's a very difficult conversation. Talking today to John Verdone and Megan Aaron, consultants here at DDI, on the conversation of having difficult conversations in these difficult times. Um, I know you've both alluded to some of your own personal experiences having tough conversations, uh, but I just want to ask you very specifically, uh, if you can share um, examples of the most difficult conversation you had to have and how you navigated it. John, let's start with you. I called an employee of mine into the office Friday afternoon at three to tell him that his, that he was no longer going to be employed in the company, that, um, that it was a tough decision, but it had to be made and that they were waiting for him in the human resources department. If he would walk over there, they would have all the information that he needed and talk to him about the severance that was going to take place. I did this on Friday at three. The next day on Saturday, he was getting married, and every one of us in the department were invited to his wedding. True story. I had the conversation. Now, in hindsight, this was a number of years ago. In hindsight, I wouldn't have done I wouldn't, you know, it just sounds cruel and inhumane, but I was being pushed. We had, it was a number of people where this was happening to over it. So yeah. I sat down with him. I delivered the message. I was as empathetic as I could possibly be. Um, when I told him that he could go over to human resources, he did not get up out of the chair. He, he sat there, his head was down, and then I could see he was crying. I was just, just sobbing uh, in it. And, uh, you know, two guys sitting in a room, one of them crying. I, I had no idea what to say. I, I literally did not know how to respond to this in, in any way. And I made what I think was the biggest mistake of my life. Uh, in doing a conversation like that, because I couldn't figure out what to say. I went back to what I thought I should say. And, I, and these aren't my exact words, but I said something like, you know, I know this is hard now, but when you look back upon it, you'll realize it was, it was really a thing that allowed you to kind of move on with your life and get to a, a new place and do this stuff. And as it was coming out of my mouth, I went, oh, this is so horrible to, mm -hmm. you know, to, I'm just adding to the pain that, that was, you know, that was there. And, uh, and he got up and he, and he left. 
um, and uh, and walked out. And that uh, I can see his face, and that has haunted me ever since, and has made me commit to being prepared and you know and doing things the right way. And just so that I, and I use this story a lot actually when I teach workshops as an example. And so because we're not two way with all the listeners, I, I just know. The one question you have is, did I go to the wedding the next day <laughs> that's out there? And the answer is no, I did not. I, I, I sent my gift, but I did not want to face not only him, but his whole family uh, on both sides uh, that yeah. he's gone on. By the way, he's gone on, been tremendously successful and 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 uh, and done a lot of things. But I'll tell you, it, uh, it, it takes one of those to to just really sober you up and let you know how important this leadership role is and especially these kinds of discussions. Yeah. Megan, what about you? So mine has a similar theme of having to have the conversation to manage someone out of the organization for this uh, situation. What made it most difficult was the first time I had that title of a formal leader. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was asked to lead this individual because of hopes I could reignite or renew some focus and and energy for this individual to therefore complete those expectations that have been set about the roles and responsibilities. And I did everything. So you've got to think about, well, did I do it textbook? Of course I did textbook. I'm the one that teaches the textbook. So it's going to be to my most highest level of effort to ensure that I'm doing everything that every book possibly says I could do right. And uh, yet every time I came back, it was the data. It was the the lack of performance. It was the lack of motivation. And it was the, all those checks. And and as I navigated through that conversation and, and had that final discussion, I really still for a good month or so two things happened. One was I still felt like it was, I failed. I failed because I didn't turn around the performance and I was especially chosen because everyone had confidence in me that I could, I could get it done. And I was used to getting things done and and coming out with a success. And that felt like a complete failure. The second thing that really haunted me for a while was, well, that means that I no longer would be a leader. Uh, so then no longer being a leader was also something I kept in my brain that I wasn't good enough. I couldn't be one again. And so I, I want to just share that uh, those reactions are normal, natural reactions to a, you know, a, a challenging conversation that you might feel failure. Uh, you might feel that I'm not good enough or I can't do it again. Find those ways to uh, close out and also determine what is the the catalyst for that negative self-talk so that you can actionably shift it to a different positive intent. So those feelings are normal, natural. Give yourself a time frame for how can I turn this around? How can I get back into, you know, knowing that I've got the best of intentions to lead others? Those are both extremely powerful stories. And one last question. Uh, for for both of you, and Megan, we'll start with you. Um, you know, you've you've shared a lot of really great actionable advice here today. Um, what else would you tell, especially a new leader, 
what else do they really need to know? And what advice would you give them to have success or at least some level of success uh, <laughs> when they have to have a, their next difficult conversation? I like the word that you said, some level of success, because yeah. you may have this really big vision of, you know, sunshine, unicorn and rainbows, you know, sprouting out from the end of the discussion, like the end of a, a, a Disney movie. And, and that may not be the case. And so set realistic expectations for your performance of, you know, doing all the things that we've shared with you today. If you take at least one to two of those, you know, key takeaways, which was definitely the preparation piece and active listening. If you can take those two and deploy those strategies, you will have increments of success. And as we started off this conversation talking about the comfort versus the confidence, the more that you uh, then apply those and add new ones, as you find your own version of what it looks like to lead and to conduct a challenging conversation, um, you can find that you may even relabel the names of these types of, of conversations yeah. or remove the challenge and find them as, you know, this is a really good opportunity conversation I want to have. And there may be some challenging parts to it, but I'm going to even reframe how I label the conversation as well. John, what else would you tell a new leader? Um, I get, Megan did a wonderful job. I, I was making some notes and I was going to kind of go, a, I think, a, the same direction with it's Look, it's not going to go perfectly. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to feel bad. Um, so don't beat yourself up too much. Learn from it and go forward. But 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 since she did that so articulately, uh, I'm going to uh, go a different direction with it and say that while we've talked about how to do this successfully, we've given some advice, some suggestions. What I need everybody to really understand is that this is a part of your job as a leader, and it's not optional. If yeah. you're not having these discussions, then you are not really fulfilling the role that a leader has in an organization. And, you know, if we didn't have these tough situations to face, we wouldn't need as many leaders uh, in organizations, right? It would be a, it would be a simpler, easier job. And so um, don't take anything that we've said and say, uh, oh, well, I, you know, I don't know that I can do all of that or I don't know if I can do it as well as they were describing. The fact of the matter is you need to have the courage and, and understand it's part of your obligation. And that ultimately in the long run, it'll help everybody involved. Um, and, and that I just encourage uh, everyone as leaders to take every opportunity to get stronger and better and learn and grow but absolutely face these issues. It, it's, a, it's a really important thing for you to be able to do. What a fantastic conversation this has been. John Verdone, Senior Consultant at DDI. Megan Aaron, Managing Consultant at DDI. Thank you both so much for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of the Leadership 480 podcast, let me remind you to please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you're already a subscriber, we invite you to subscribe again on all the platforms and devices you use. And please rate us as well to let us know how we're doing. And be sure to tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast and invite them to subscribe. My name is Craig Irons reminding you to make every moment of leadership count.